You're listening to our podcast series, Dirty Words. This podcast is brought to you by QAD. In a world of increasing change and disruption, it's important to have solutions that can help you not just survive, but thrive. Learn more about QAD's adaptive applications on QAD.com. Well, we've all heard some dirty words in our time. They can be unpleasant. They can be controversial. But in Dirty Words, our podcast, our effort is not placed in expanding your vocabulary of profanity, of course. (laughs) It is tackling words that often are representative of controversy or concern in the business world with relation to information technology. And today's dirty word is commodity. My name is Tom Roberts, and I'm Vice President of the Automotive and Mobility Sector at QAD. And I'd like to introduce my distinguished guest, Asir Borges. Asir, welcome. Hey, Tom. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I'm Asir Borges. I'm the Vice President of the Packaging Vertical. And I'm glad to be here with Tom. And back to you, Tom. All right. You know, Asir, I hear it all the time. Automotive manufacturing companies and, you know, manufacturing companies in general, you know, they don't want to ever be considered just manufacturing companies. You know, usually they want to be called technology companies. You know, they often believe or want to believe that they're they're cutting edge technology powerhouses representing the vanguard of their industry. You know, they tell Wall Street this. They try to convince their employees of it. People desperately do not want to hear or realize that their product has become a commodity. And I understand. I mean, once you realize that everything you put your heart and soul into, your blood, sweat and tears and a sizable investment, once that's become common or commodity, it just doesn't sound like a place that anybody wants to be. You know, people want themselves and more to the point, their companies and products to be special, to be unique, to have differentiation. We're always talking about differentiators. The reason is commodity is a dirty word. So let's start with a definition of here. So we'll just kind of lay a baseline here. Commodity, according to Wikipedia, lines up like this. Quote, in economics, a commodity is an economic good that has full or substantial fungibility. That is, the market treats instances of the good as equivalent or nearly so with no regard to who produced them, end quote. Asir, do you see this kind of, uh, in the packaging industry, do you see this sort of aversion for a product to become a commodity? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, Tom, at the end of the day, no one wants to be treated as a commodity because uh, you lose all your potential points for differentials, which basically that's the, the main driver for, for better premiums. So the same thing in, in the packaging industry. The packaging industry, uh, the function of, of packaging in general, the first, the primary function is to protect the product that goes inside. Because think about it, everything you buy, or most of everything you buy, or eat, or drink, um, they, they come in a sort of packaging. So at the end, you need to protect what's inside. That's the number one function. The second is to become another extension of your brand and to basically be a brand ambassador and an element in your efforts to develop brand awareness. So long story short, yes, uh, all of the packaging manufacturers, they compete tooth and nail to develop 
actually differentials and avoid the commoditization. Absolutely, because it's more than just you know the name on the product. It's companies are looking for a you know some sort of differentiation. So let's go back. You know, I, I think we go back to that definition. I, I love that where it says full or substantial fungibility because that definition is exactly what automotive manufacturing companies do not want their products to become. They don't want them to to do that. I mean, imagine if your product has become fully commoditized with full fungibility of instances versus your competitors, there's no, there's no difference. I mean, there's no differentiator. And I think, you know, I've worked in the automotive industry for a long time. I think that there are actually few products in automotive, at least that are not largely commoditized. I think they're almost all commoditized. Almost every supplied part that you see in a vehicle or under the hood has been commoditized by the OEMs. You know, and there's, you know, again, there's great talk of innovation and partnering partnering with suppliers. There's some great technology tie-ups out there. But when it comes down to it, if you're a tier one supplier, you are probably selling a product that's been largely commoditized, whether it's, you know, seats, airbags, seat belts, cockpits, mirrors, screens, batteries, tires, you know, whatever it might be. A lot of those things are treated as a commodity by the OEMs. And I think they want it that way. Because it's easier to negotiate on something that is treated in that manner rather than being forced to recognize that everything is a carefully engineered product that requires unique commercials and treatment. And again, there's lots of engineering and safety requirements and all kinds of effort that goes into creating all of these products for a car. But again, the the treatment of them by the OEMs, I think, often is largely commoditized. Is, Is that something that you see in packaging as well, where possible? Yeah, well, first of all, uh, packaging, um, you know, components or packaging in general is not a complex product as uh, as much as uh, a car. That's a given. But nevertheless, there's still a lot of specs, uh, especially about, uh, you know, food protection uh, or drop tests or, you know, several different uh, sort of, um, and sometimes it's they vary by state, uh, country. So... Long story short, there are specs that go into the products as well. But as I said, packaging manufacturers, they have been fighting tooth and nail to avoid uh, total commoditization of their products for obvious reasons. Um, but um, they have been pretty good at that. Yeah. Great quote from Steve Hayer, who is the former CEO of Starwood Hotels and Resorts Worldwide. And he was also a former chief operating officer of Coca-Cola. He says something very simple. Everything commoditizes over time, end quote, is what he said. And he's right. Quoting the Economic Times, you know, the edges and points of difference get worn off by competition. The facets of diamonds are worn away and you are left with a piece of glass. It is easy to imitate and hard to innovate, end quote. And I think that that in the automotive industry, you know, it's even harder to avoid this commoditization because the suppliers, they're not allowed to really typically they're not allowed to put their brand information on a product in any recognizable fashion you know they might you know say that they make safety glass or, or a you know a wind windshield or something for a car there they might be able to put their brand in a very small lettering in the lower corner of the windshield in some cases this year usually in electronics they're allowed to identify what brand they are for a stereo like if it's Harman or Bose or something like that. Um, or tires. 
or tires. Yeah, they're allowed to uh, have brand on there. But typically, in a lot of these engineered parts, you you don't see a brand. You know, you don't see the brand on the seats or the seat belts or the the door panels. So what happens is, you know, the OEMs they they know so much about these suppliers, and you know, there's really no visible brand recognition. They want to commoditize these parts, right? So the OEMs know the cost of the raw materials. They know the labor costs, the engineering tool costs, presses, logistics. You know, so much to the point that for tier one suppliers, a lot of these large tier one automotive suppliers that are out there, more than half of their direct material spend is actually directed by the OEMs. Now, think about that. That means that the OEM tells the supplier who they're buying their parts from, their commodities and their components, who they're buying them from and how much. For example, if you make a door panel, you might be specifically told who to buy a window actuator from and then how much you're going to pay for it. And then you put that in the door panel and then sell that to the uh, OEM. This happens all the time. So a lot of times there's not a lot of difference in the end product of what you're seeing from, from one OEM to the next. So really, I mean, what are, what does an OEM want out of their supply base? You know, in automotive, they want them to be easy to do business with. They want great commercials, ideally generated by the best internal cost structure. And I mean, if there's weak salespeople, I don't know if they fight that, but <laughs> but again, they're looking. You know, they're looking for a great internal cost structure. They want the best quality. They want fungibility of process and approach. Meaning, if I've got a car built on three continents, you know, say it's built in Alabama, it's built in Eastern Europe, and it's built in China and it's the same car, I want fungibility of process and approach, and I want the car built largely the same way here as there. And then I want you to meet my launch timing. Those are the things that an OEM really wants. So often, this year, what I see is they they become arm's length divisions of the OEMs. You know, a lot of, you know, as we know in the past, the OEMs actually sold off a lot of the vertical integration and these companies became new. You know, they became standalone companies and and new companies. However, they're still often treated commercially like they're arm's length divisions. So again, you know, I think that that's really what automotive is looking for, you know, easy to do business with, you know, fungibility process and process and approach and meeting launch timing. What do you see with, again, in the packaging industry, I'm not as familiar with that. Are companies that buy B2B products, are they looking for those similar methods, similar processes for things they buy? Um, So not so much, Tom, because at the end of the day, remember that packaging accounts for a small fraction of the overall cost in the final branded product. So take, for instance, a product that's fairly inexpensive, like milk. You buy a gallon for, what, three to four dollars, eventually even less than three dollars. And the packaging, the, the jug costs about um, 15 to 20, 25 cents a piece. So at the end of the day, it's not to the extent that warrants the the uh, the brand owner to dedicate money efforts to, to fight that off. What the brand owners do primarily is to have engineering departments or packaging engineering departments to look into all the specs for that particular product. For instance, if it's food and beverage, 
make sure that the protections included uh, uh, in the packaging will be uh, enough to support the shelf life that they want or the protections or, you know, for instance, if you take a look at any plastic bottle that goes into, into the fridge, you don't want a kid to basically get that from the fridge and accidentally dropping on the floor and all of a sudden splashing the contents all over the kitchen. So there are some drop tests, cold drop tests, you know, built into that. So having said that, so that's what's their objective. And now more recently, with uh, the explosive growth in, in e-commerce, the whole thing is now how to design packaging to withstand 10, 20 times more touch points between the producer, the factory, and the final consumer. And that's what it goes into that right now. That's basically most of the attention being directed to. Understood. Understood. So it's interesting that that's a different approach in packaging. You know, I mentioned the example of a company building a car on, say, three continents. And what the customer expects if they're building that car on three continents, they're expecting the supplier to act in the same way. So they're actually asking their supplier to have internal commoditization and internal processes that are the same. And I think this is the key is here is that we call commoditization a dirty word. I think commoditization is a dirty word for a company selling a product externally, right? The, the external view of commodity is bad, but I think that every manufacturing company should internally seek to commoditize their products. And what I mean by that is they should be aggressively looking at ways to have full or substantial fungibility in the way that they approach things. For example, how is my labor trained? If I approach training my manufacturing labor differently for very similar processes, if if I train them differently every single time, I don't have substantial fungibility right in a process. I might be hiring different training vendors, using different training tools. I could have a lot of things that are that are being done differently. The processes, are the processes different? Are the machines different? Is there a clear set of best practices that are updated and shared and drilled in the engineering and manufacturing orgs? Or does everybody kind of do things how they want to, to try to get to the same end, right? Because the product has to look the same, but you don't necessarily have to take the same journey to get there. That's the problem, I think, is companies are, are taking a different journey <laughs> to, to get to this end state. And here's what I mean. Every time there's a different process, you know, there's different training, there's different tasks to be performed. There's a rise in inefficiency. And now automotive manufacturing gets even worse. Every manufacturing plant, and here's the dirty little secret, every manufacturing plant in automotive has their own budget that they're going to spend on some type of IT solution or machine or device or sensors or whatever in the idea that it will improve their efficiency, right? They're going to free up some dollars and they're going to go spend it on local solutions or they might have their cousin code something. They might have, you know, the local university create something. I've seen all kinds of different things happen. And the idea is, you know, hey, they're just they're just trying to get better, right? The manufacturing plant is trying to get better. 
the danger to this though is that all these plants are buying things they don't really want to talk about it with other plants that make the same things because they don't want their individual efforts slowed down right you don't want to say hey i'm doing this great thing on the line i'm gonna be adding this machine and you're talking to a plant manager that at a different plant and they say hey i'd love to get in on that you know let's see if we can go in and then all of a sudden it becomes a discussion between the two plants it slows your initiative down right nobody wants to do that they don't want to give away decision-making power and the the last thing a manufacturing plant wants to do is let corporate get wind of anything <laughs> right so so you you kind of want to do things you don't want to do it with too much fanfare because you don't want people stopping what you're doing and again you're trying to do the right thing you're trying to improve your processes but when you take a step back and every plant ends up buying different tools they have different vendors they have different things that they're doing that that's how you lose your full or substantial fungibility internally. And that is how a lot of these tier ones are acting. I talked to a lot of companies and this is what they're doing. And now I've seen, and this is a kind of a late development. I, I have seen in the tier one automotive environment that management is losing its will to drive direction from the center. And what I mean by that, Asir, is that they're they're saying, well, you know, we need to push out to everything regionally. We need to have more regional views on things. Plants need to have more flexibility to make their own decisions. And what we're seeing from the couple of companies that have done that and were actually noted for that, that had decentralized, a lot of those companies that we talked to are actually pulling back to the center. And what they're saying is, is that we do need to have fungibility in these processes. We do need to look at things at scale. There's a reason why we're a big company. If we're going to make a product and we're going to do it at different locations, we should be doing things the same way, the best way, and then we should be sharing those things between plants. And that's why this, this problem is here of every plant kind of doing their own projects. You know, they never put it in the budget, right? <laughs> You'll never see this in a forecaster plant. So if I look at the books for 2021 for a given manufacturing plant, they're not going to say in here, I'm doing this special project and putting in X, Y, and Z. What they do is if they have an underrun, they will reallocate that later to buy this thing. <laughs> that way you can never look ahead of time to see what they're doing. You have to look at what they've done in the past. And that's the only way you know how much they've spent on some of these pet projects. But that's the thing is I think if this, this funding and this investment and this energy reallocated in big ticket items, you know, like working on M&A integration, working on enterprise improvement, working on larger scale IoT and, and industry four initiatives, where you could actually coordinate and evaluate an initiative. And you don't have every plant doing what they want to do. You're actually driving the best practice after arriving at what that is. And you're aggressively trying to commoditize your product internally. That is what these companies are no longer doing. And I think that honestly, I think that's why a lot of these tier ones are a 50 cent cab ride from collapse to be, to be honest with you, or again, I should say 50 cent Uber ride. <laughs> um, but, but I think that that's, that's what's happening is there, there is, there's a failure of economy of scale. There's a failure of fungibility internally when their customers are looking at their product as a commodity. And you're right, you, you nailed it, uh, Tom, because basically 
Um, you know, one of the things that people sometimes at headquarters, they forget is that those regional plants, even though they are making roughly the same or exactly the same widgets or product, they are not exactly the same because they were built for a different scale. They were built for a different purpose. And at the end, they need the flexibility to improve their own processes. And, and this is a very dangerous thing. So what you need to, to do is just set the final specs and the final product, define, really well-defined the final product in every way you can, but leave some leeway for the original plants to primarily find a way. And with those, you can eventually get best of both warholds. I agree. I mean, I, I look at it like, you know, it's kind of like um, if you look at, say, militaries across the world, right? You can't have every pilot choose their own plane and have a spec for their own plane, right? It just doesn't work for any military in the world where every pilot has a different plane and every soldier has a different gun <laughs> or a different rifle. You have to have scale and you, ha- you, might, have some, you might have some different configurations, but you're, you're going to choose a handful. And you're going to kind of reconfigure to specific jobs. And I think that that is aggressively what must be done in manufacturing. I, you know, so I, I look at it this way. I, I see that advanced manufacturing engineering or ME organizations need to be empowered to hone best practices and then actually create those manufacturing lines and processes similarly throughout their footprints. You know, if you're going to do this particular activity, you need to be able to set up the line the same way across the globe obviously where possible given real estate, <laughs> even given real estate limitations and so forth. But this is what you need to do. Products yeah. of the same type need to be developed in the same way in the same type of design environments and systems. You know, companies need to understand these slush funds, right. And establish clear rules and methods for governance on CAI projects, which I, you know, again, talking to a number of companies, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's just a smattering all over of how this money is spent. And you can't look at what's in their their forecast. You can't look at what's in their budget. You kind of have to look at what they've spent <laughs> over the past four or five years because plants are really clever in freeing up money for the things they really want. You know, and again, they're on the hook. They're on the hook to, to get this stuff done. They're going to try and get better. But the problem, you know, the issue is they should be getting better with the whole capability of the company, not just what's inside their four walls. Sure. Um, you know, and things like ERP systems should be aggressively converged, pushed to the cloud, and a single set of best practices should be maintained. You know, the, the difficulty and expense and hassle of procuring servers and building data centers and staffing IT organizations with people who don't always align with the core competency of a company, that should cause any CFO or, or CIO to shudder. You know, those days are done trying to build these massive internal organizations because, you know, if, if I'm building seats, then writing code isn't necessarily my core competency or configuring an ERP system. I should be pushing those things to vendors and I should be focusing on what's important. So that, you know, those, those things us here, I think they companies aggressively need to, to chase that down. I agree. And not only that, but you know, if uh, even investors they knew about uh, about this, they would say, "Hey, wait a minute! Is this company going to invest money in what 
their core competencies are, or are they going to invest money in other stuff, in uh, primarily in overhead? And this is one of the things that uh, a lot of these uh, investors, you know, even uh, PE, they look into, like, what's the ratio between IT spends and um, in other in productive or engineering or quality or whatever related to the product or marketing uh, into the main operation. And you're right. Uh, it makes no sense these days for you to build your own IT infrastructure. It's like, um, you know, pun intended with packaging and, uh, and dairy and food. And, you know, it's to buy a couch to drink a glass of milk. So. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, Asira, again, it's been great to have you today on Dirty Words. I've really enjoyed the conversation. You know, and again, I, I hope you can come back as we uh, continue through our episodes. Oh, I'd love to, man. I, this is a lot of fun. I, it reminds me of my old days, you know, selling to the tier ones um, and tier twos as well. And those days, Motocraft, um, AC Delta. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> they were part of the, of the, of the OEMs. Oops. Um, there yeah. goes my days. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, automotive, automotive. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, automotive is a small world. Exactly. Well, thank, thank you. All right. You're welcome. All right. You've been listening to Dirty Words. This podcast is brought to you by QAD. In a world of increasing change and disruption, it's important to have solutions that can help you not just survive, but thrive. Learn more about QAD's adaptive applications on QAD.com.